0: Good morning everyone and welcome to another episode of the Today's Focus podcast series. It is Friday, August the 4th, 2023. It is currently 11:45 a.m. Central Time. And I have a very important question for you, if I don't lose my voice. I have a very important question for you, all right? For this for this episode of Today's Focus, I have a very important question. Do you prefer a very straight road, or do you prefer a long and winding road? Would you like it short and straight or long and winding? Which do you prefer, right? Do you like that long and winding where we are exploring and who knows what we're going to find and what we're going to discover, but it may take a long time to get there? Or do you like, nope, I want to get from point A to point B. I want short, straight, no turns, no curves, no exploring, just get to the point. Wh- which which do you prefer? I know a lot of you like that short and straight. You want to just go from point A to point B, no long and winding exploring. You, you just want to know where we're going to start, where we're going, and you want me to get right there. And I, and you email me frequently to tell me, get to the point. Why is this taking so long? I, I, I'm not going to listen to you anymore because you're too repetitive or whatever people will email me or say or comments on whatever platform they're posting the comments. Others of you tend to be a little bit more willing to go on the ride. You're, you're willing just to kind of say, okay, let's go. Let's just see where we end up. And you're just like, oh, look over there. Let's take an exit there. Oh, look, what's over there? Hey, what about that? Hey, hey, wait, wait, back up. I think we missed something. Um, some of you are more willing to do that. Now, the problem is obviously as a podcast. You want to appeal and you want to somehow provide something for everyone. But those are radically different ways of thinking, right? If you like the short and straight, I I tend not to be very good for the people who like that. I tend to I, and in some ways, this entire podcast series, the today's focus podcast series, was supposed to be a short and to the point. Remember, it was originally designed. Remember when I came up with the idea: fifteen minutes, right? Fifteen minutes to give you one thing to focus on. Remember, remember, and well. That's so not my personality. I'm not the short, straight kind of per, I'm the long and winding road, right? And I'm like, let's go and let's, and sometimes I don't even know where we're going, right? The, it's like the car is driving itself and I, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't even know what I'm doing. And I know that can be maddening, but I do think sometimes it makes for a fun podcast. I, I really do. I really do. And that's kind of where we found ourselves. We have found ourselves right now for the today's focus podcast series, right? Because it, it all, remember how it all started? Pride, pride, pride is sinful. God resists the proud. God hates the proud look. Okay. Pride. Okay. And then that somehow turned into pride and anxiety. And then we had a very famous preacher saying that God told him the reason you have anxiety is because of your pride. And we, then we started doing a little bit of study. We did a little bit of work on anxiety. Psalm what? 30, 34, 37. I think th- Psalm 37. Let me look here. I don't want to give you the wrong passage. It'll bother me, but I have it right here. It was Psalm. Hang on. It was Psalm. I have it here. Where is it? Where is it? It was Psalm 37, so Psalm 37, and then Matthew 6. We were going to look at Philippians 4, and then I'm like, you know what? Let's, 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 let's take another turn. Let's, let's take, let's, let's let this road take us somewhere else, because I kept telling you that that sermon from a very famous pastor who claimed that God told him that your anxiety is the cause of pride, that, well, we have the entire sermon, so I'm like, well, let's, Let's review it. So we reviewed it. And the name of the sermon is When Anxiety Attacks by Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church. Now, we already knew going in that we we're going to disagree with it philologically, but we at least thought it's going to be about anxiety, right? I mean that would kind of fit what we were looking at. We've been looking at anxiety, stu- studying anxiety, looking at some passages dealing with anxiety. We talked about anxiety disorder. So you thought, okay, at least now the curves are over, the road is now straight. We're gonna we're gonna just continue to drive down this road looking at anxiety, and we started listening to the sermon, and you talk about a long and winding road. Next thing you know, we left anxiety 15 miles behind, and now we're trying to figure out how Satan works. So the sermon has gotten all convoluted and complicated. You definitely need to go back and listen to part one and part two of this sermon review. This is part three. We're going to try to bring this to some kind of a conclusion. It may even require a part four because I'm still just baffled about what has happened. We've definitely been given the impression that Satan has the ability that even for you as a believer to work inside of you, he can place thoughts inside of you, he can put emotions inside of you, but at On the other hand, we've been basically told that God is our protector and we're under the mighty hand of God and he's got us in his grip and nothing can get to us. Nothing can touch us. Nothing can harm us. And you're like, okay, but wait a minute. I thought you said Satan can. So I so I don't know how that all works. But then we found out, even though God is omnipotent and he has us in his grip, we can slip out. We can slip out. And then, but God will grab us, but God will only grab us. If we are close enough and have surrendered enough, so wait a minute—the the, the omnipotent grip of God—we can still slip out of it, and God will catch us. But He will only catch us if, 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 if. It seems very conditional. If. We're close enough and have surrendered enough. But we've yet to be told exactly what. how close do you have to be and how do you measure that closeness and and how much surrender must you have in order for God to then catch you once you slip out of his omnipotent grip. And we still haven't been told exactly, wait a minute, so what can Satan do to us? And does God protect us from that or not protect us from that? It's all convoluted. So as we continue down this long and winding road... I hope, first of all, you'll be patient with that, but you know what? I can't, this is what I can't promise you, that when we get to the end of this long and winding road, you're going to be like, wow, that was worth it, because we may get to the end of this long and winding road, and you may look at me saying, let me out of this car. This was the stupidest trip I've ever taken, and there's a high probability It's going to end that way because it just I'm starting to have very negative feelings about where this whole sermon review is going. In fact, this entire series has been such a weird, long and winding road. I don't even know where it's all going to end. Now, I know you may be thinking, wait a minute, you have to know where it's going to end. No, because when we do sermon reviews... I don't listen to them first. So we're going, we're taking this road trip together. And you know, I love this analogy of a road trip. I've used it before because I, I definitely like to, to use this analogy, but I don't know where we're going to end up. I don't know where we're going to end up. I have no idea. So you may be very frustrated when the, when we finally stop and pull over. You may be like, let me out of this car. I'm going home and I'm never taking another road trip with you ever again. And I can understand. Look, there's other podcasts, short and narrow, short and straight, A to B. It's perfect. It's great. It's produced. It's wonderful. This is much more, hey, you you, you want to hop in and, well, where are we going? I can't really tell you. When are we going to get there? Can't really tell you. How are we going to get there? Can't really tell you. Where are we going to end up? Can't really tell you. Okay. But hey, hey, I promise you Something good will come from it at least that's that 's what i 'm hoping, but are you ready okay now i 've taken that idea that illustration to now probably a ridiculous level, but uh there you have it i i i I wish i i the only reason i 'm taking so long trying to trying to get us started is because honestly I just don 't know how to even review all of this i don 't even know how to get us on the same page it 's been crazy, but i've backed it up a little bit. And he's, so we're supposed to be in first Peter five. Now we're, I think in Matthew 14, he's talking about Peter who was walking on the water and you know, he, he began to sink. And so now he's using all of the, he's using all of these passages and taking spiritualizing them, turning them into who knows what. And, uh, well, we're, we, we, we were talking about Satan and what Satan can do. Now he's getting ready to talk about how powerful God is, but yet we can slip out. It's getting ready to get all just more convoluted, but at least it will ease us into where we stopped late last night. So welcome everyone to a Today's Focus podcast episode, and we will continue our sermon review of Stephen Furtick's message, When Anxiety Attacks... So far, we haven't learned anything about anxiety. We started learning a little bit about Satan, but we really did never get a clear understanding how any of that works. Now we're going to be talking about how God protects us in his power, and then we're going to find out that we can actually slip out of his grip. And now, but yeah, it's just, are you ready?
1: Here we go. Jesus is not walking toward Peter. Peter is walking toward Jesus. When Jesus sees Peter falling and hears him crying, he reaches out his hand and Peter is close enough for Jesus to reach. The problem with some of us isn't that we're sinking, it's that we won't stay close enough for God to get us in his grip. All
0: right. The problem isn't that we're sinking. The problem is that we're sinking too far away from God. So he cannot get us in his grip, which seems to be putting forth a God who is too weak. God's like, oh man, he's sinking over there. Oh, I can't reach him. Oh man, I'm so sorry. If you would have started sinking right here, I could have gotten you in my grip, but you're too far away. You're just gonna have to sink. I'm sorry. I only save people and I only help people who sink close to my proximity. Like, I don't really want to get up and walk to you because see, in this story, Peter was walking to Jesus. Jesus doesn't walk to us. We have to walk to Jesus. And if we start sinking, we got to make sure the sinking happens in such close proximity that Jesus can get to us because Jesus is not going to come to us. We've got to come to Jesus. And then if we start sinking as we come to Jesus, well, we got to make sure the sinking happens within a certain, you know, radius of, of distance. It's, the whole thing is preposterous and ridiculous and I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be nice, but I mean, and once again, this is one of those situations where pastors take a passage of scripture where it's giving us a historical description of something that literally took place and then we just start making it represent this and rep- and this represents this and we start spiritualizing it to such a point that you can make it say anything. Like, hey, see, Peter was walking towards Jesus. That's the way it works. Jesus doesn't walk towards us. We walk towards Jesus. Okay, oh, Peter started sinking. Hey, sometimes we sink. But but, look, 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 Jesus grabbed him. Why did Jesus grab him? Because Peter was close enough. See, in your life, you've got to be close enough or Jesus can't get you in his grip. The whole thing is just... Just taking a text of scripture and basically doing whatever you want with it and doing it all in the name of Jesus. And it's sad. It's horrible. It's preposterous. It's ridiculous. I don't even know the words to use. Okay, right now I'm going to remain calm. All right, here we go. You You talk about a sermon about when anxiety attacks. This sermon creates anxiety. So far, it's not helped me with any, but let's continue.
1: But I came to announce to that lion today, that liar, the devil, that I'm in his grip even when I'm going down, even though the winds and the waves are roaring and raging in my life. I'm in his grip. Somebody shout, I'm in his grip. in his grip. God's got me in his grip. He's got me in his grip. He's, He's got me in the hand of his protection. He might let me suffer a little while, but he won't let me stay there. He is my God, and I'm in his hand. Humble yourself under The mighty hand of God doesn't matter how well you can walk on water. It matters how close you are to his hand. doesn't matter about your intelligence. It matters about your surrender. It doesn't matter about your ability. It matters about your surrender. Humble yourself. I'm preaching to somebody. I'm preaching to somebody so straight you can't even nod. You're trying to hold back tears, but God sent a preacher with a message. You might as well go ahead and cry out, Lord, save me. I can't do this on my own. I am not enough by myself. Humble yourself under the mighty. Now, all
0: of that sounds so good. All of that's so good. And the word is preposterous, not preposterous. I don't know how I was saying it. Preposterous, right? The whole thing is ridiculous. Because on one hand, he's like, look, 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 look. Okay. Satan's out there to get you. All right. We we have to walk towards Jesus. If we seek, we gotta make sure we're close enough. We gotta make sure we've surrendered enough. We gotta make sure we're doing all of these things enough. And then God will save us and God will save us and God. But hey, hey, sometimes you gotta realize you can't do it on your own, but Jesus is here to save you. But you've already made it very clear that wait a minute, Jesus will save me, but it's dependent on all of these other things that I do. So is it Lord have mercy and save me? Lord have mercy and help me, or is Lord you can help me now because I've met all of these requirements that this pastor who was sent to supposedly deliver a message of hope has given me to, to do. I've got to do this and I got to, but he's yet to tell me exactly how I know if I've done these things so that God can get me back in his grip and that God will reach out and save me. It's, it's somehow it's my surrender. It's somehow it's my, it's my being close enough. It's, it's all of these things I have to do. And and so I don't know, and, and and if God's gonna do all the protecting, then what can Satan do or not do? I am it's the whole thing is so convoluted and it, it's well about as convoluted as me trying to say the word preposterous, because it was preposterous, how I did not say the word correctly. As convoluted as that was, this sermon is just as convoluted. But let's continue and see where this goes
1: of God. He'll lift you up in due time. He'll get you up. He'll he'll lift you up in due time. He'll let you go down low enough to know that you need him and bring you up high enough to let the world know that he's with you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Verse 7 is what I've been trying to practice, that I can be under attack and not anxious. Cast all your anxiety on him. He cares for you. I'm trying to do that because I felt like, after Code Orange Revival, I felt like I went under an emotional attack, and I don't even know that I'm still out of it yet. Part of it is probably because of adrenaline and physiological factors that have to do with getting up ten nights in a row and all of the hosting of trying to put up with guests for ten nights to make them feel special. <laughs> Part of it, though, had to be spiritual. And… It was like for 10 nights, if you weren't here in our church, you know, you basically missed out on life by not coming to Code Orange Revival. <laughs> but not only did our city go through a shaking after the revival, I went through a shaking, and I don't want to get up here and use you for a counseling appointment because I don't want to have to pay your hourly fee or anything like that. And I don't want you to worry about me, because I promise you I'm, I'm good, and I, I love my wife and my kids, and we're good and everything like that. Don't send me these emails. We're praying for you, Pastor. That's not the reason I'm telling you this, and it'll make me feel like you missed the point if you send me an email. I don't want no card or anything like that. Flowers, cookies, trying to get me fat on carbohydrates because you think I'm struggling. I don't want any of that. I don't need any of that. I just want to tell you something. While we were in here talking about 10 nights, 10 years, celebrating 10 years, I felt overwhelmed about… Do I have what it takes for the next 10? And it's like once you've gone real high with God, as a leader, I think you feel a pressure to go higher. But then it's kind of hard because you feel like maybe you've gone as high as you can go. And maybe you feel that way as a parent, not as a preacher. Maybe you feel that way in your business. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I'm going to open myself up here a little bit for you today if it'll be helpful because. Anxiety attacked me, and it hit me kind of hard, and I wasn 't staying in the bed or anything like that, but uh, i didn't go get addicted to something, some kind of pills or anything like that. but it was a thing in my mind: you don't have what it takes i don't have what it takes i can't do you know i as far as I can take them i don't know if I'm the one to do it, and all this stuff that was going through my mind that 's how I got over to first Peter chapter five, because I know that scripture, I love that scripture that scripture has helped me before, and sometimes when you are up against a fight, you got to go back to a weapon that you know. I can't fight Goliath in this armor. i got to get a slingshot. So so it was kind of like just a well-known verse, and I went back in there and considered the context of Peter, who fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane while he was supposed to be watching Jesus back. Jesus came over to him, gave him two wake-up calls. He hit the snooze button three times. Are you still sleeping? And I looked at how Peter was telling the church to be alert. Which is translated elsewhere in the New Testament, be prayerful. The enemy eats Christians who sleep in times of battle. Be alert to what's going on. Realize that the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye that the devil doesn't like it one bit, that you're moving forward in your relationship with God. I started taking the verse apart because the Word of God really is what I live by, not just what I make my living off of.
0: I'm trying not to interrupt that only because I I respect... The fact that he's being open here and being vulnerable, that he is struggle has struggled with anxiety. But once again, it just demonstrates Christians struggle with anxiety. Christians get diagnosed with anxiety disorder. Christians get diagnosed with severe depression. Christians struggle emotionally. Christians struggle mentally. All of those issues we struggle with, one, because we are human beings and we are in a corruptible body. And just as you can get physically sick, you can get mental physical sickness. Sickness, mental sickness, emotional uh, sickness, we'll use that terminology, physical sickness. All of those things are realities of our life because we are in a corruptible body. The fall impacts everything. So we are impacted physically, mentally, spiritually. The fall impacts us in every single way. So sometimes Christians try to act like these things don't impact us, but he's now acknowledging, hey, it even impacts him. Okay. I, I'm there. He, he went to first Peter. All right. That's awesome. That's all awesome. He's trying to process maybe why he was feeling this way. What caused it? Was it, was it possibly physio, physiological? Was it some of these other issues? Because he had this, all of these responsibilities and maybe this emotional high. And then he's coming down. He's trying to process it. That's all good. This is all wonderful. It's all vu- vulnerable. I don't know exactly how that all fits in with everything else that he said about oh, supposedly what Satan does to us. Is he going to blame Satan for putting these thoughts and feelings inside of him? Is that what he's going to do? And, and if Satan is the one doing that, then how much Satan, how much power does Satan have? And wait a minute, how does it, how does that fit with supposedly I'm in the grip of the omnipotent God. I'm under his hand and nothing can touch me. Well, wait a minute. So that means God would be setting me down, removing his hands. Hey, Satan, you can now put all of these thoughts and desires and feelings inside of this person and I'm going to sit back and watch. Well, then how do you process that theologically? And then if Satan is the one putting thoughts in your mind, then how can you ever know any thought you ever have can be trusted? Like, if Satan literally has the power to put thoughts and emotions in you, then how do you ever know if any thought or emotion is the right one? You say, well, then you have to test your thoughts with this. Well, how can you test your thoughts if Satan is messing with your thoughts? Like, I don't even know how that all works, I- even in a logical way. So he's 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 thrown out all of these issues without truly art- articulating them. But I do ad- admire that he's being open and honest and vulnerable here. Now, where is this vulnerability going to take us well let's find out
1: so i went into verse 7 real hard like i needed an answer when anxiety attacks it'll drive you to seek god to seek his hand and i was looking for him because he said cast all your anxiety (laughs) while i was reading it since i knew peter wrote it and he's a fisherman i wondered was he picturing like casting the nets from one side of the boat to the other just because Jesus told him to. Sometimes anxiety in our life is a result of our unwillingness to be obedient, and when he casts the net to the other side. Maybe that's a word for somebody. He said, cast all your anxiety on him. Do it his way now. We fished all night and caught nothing, Peter said, but because you say so, I'm going to cast my net on the other side. I've been trying to do this my way. I've been trying to handle it on my own, but I'm going to cast my net on the other side.
0: Okay. Now, beautiful, beautiful imagery here, beautiful picture. I do, it is very, I, I think pretty clever, pretty interesting that he's taking this idea of casting and, and because Peter was a fisherman and we have that story, well, Jesus has cast your nets here. And Peter's like, hey, haven't we worked all night? So I do love bringing that imagery together. And, and maybe maybe it's something to be really worked on a little bit more. But I do have to kind of pause here. And once again, I know I'm always the person raising my hand and asking questions that a lot of Christians won't ask. And I know I get myself in trouble when I ask these questions. Christians get really mad and they get defensive, but I'm going to ask it. If your disobedience is the thing that drives, adds, or causes your anxiety, exactly how does this work? Because let me just t- state this. Are you saying specific Times of disobedience leads to anxiety now I'm not going to completely dismiss this right because obviously there's times when we're being disobedient to what God would call causes it's going to cause anxiety. we know we're doing something we're not supposed to do and it causes anxiety there no one can deny it I think there's there, there's at least truth to that but my question is, is it all of our disobedience? Because, because look, we're, we're perpetually in a state of disobedience. So should we be in a perpetual state of anxiety? And if disobedience leads to anxiety, is the solution to simply be obedient, then that will fix the anxiety? Or is it simply to fix certain, the, the only fix the disobedience that's causing the anxiety? Like Like, see, there's one sense where we're always disobedient. We don't love God with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. We're not as holy as God is holy, and we're called to be holy as God is holy. We're called to be perfect as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. We never fulfill any of these scriptures. We're always in a state of disobedience. Now, if that is true, then should I be in a perpetual state of anxiety? Now, if that's the case, you cannot tell me the solution then is obedience because I'm never going to be obedient enough, therefore I'm always going to have some level of anxiety. Now, ultimately, the answer would be you take the disobedience leads to the anxiety because you know you're guilty under the law of God. You run to Christ, and then Christ in the gospel washes away your sins and then gives you the obedience that you will never have. Then that should ease your anxiety. At the same time, though, I think we have to admit there are certain times where we know we're doing something. We know we're in the wrong, and that's going to create some kind of level of anxiety. So on one hand, it should always drive us to Christ and the gospel. On the other hand, I think sometimes we have to ask ourselves, these feelings of anxiety and worry and fear and all these negative emotions, is the negative emotions flowing from a specific example of disobedience? Now ultimately you you're never going to obey perfectly. So you've got to run to the gospel to fix that ultimately. But there are specific cases where we have to acknowledge. Come on. This is creating this negative feeling. This negative feeling. And then we sometimes have to stop and go what are we what am I doing? What are we doing? What is what is anybody doing? Well, how do we how do we work on this? And so sometimes you got to we got to move past the disobedience so we can get to a closer set, uh, level of obedience at least in this specific case. At the same time, relying on the gospel. There's got to be a mixture here. There's got to be, you've got to have the gospel element because that's the only hope of true peace. But I think we can acknowledge sometimes, I, I think we have to at least ask ourselves the correlation between anxiety to some level. I'm not saying anxiety disorder, which has a clinical definition and a clinic, clinical diagnosis. And it, it can be caused by traumatic experiences, medical issues, uh, those types of things. But, like, you know, for example, I'll, I'll just, I know this is a ridiculous example, but yeah, I started having a little bit of anxiety, right? I'm, nothing serious, obviously, but just, just being bothered, worried, because I knew I did not say the word preposterous correct, right? So I'm like, oh man, I said that incorrectly. I said, perpo- not preposterous. I, I ever, how oh, I said it. And I'm like, oh, 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 I know what I'll do. I'll come back on and fix it. Sometimes it's something that simple. You know you're not doing the right thing. So just we got to just try to now do the right thing so that we can move past this and then we can find some level of peace. Well, I just know okay, preposterous. Let's just say the word correctly. That doesn't fix what I did, but now I'm, I'm I can now move forward knowing that I did correct it, right? So sometimes we have to find out what's the thing causing our anxiety, and if it's some level of disobedience, first of all, we run to Christ and the gospel, but then we have to at least address it and then say, I got I to try to move past this. I, I got I to do my best here, because then maybe that will lessen the anxiety. I, I think there's, there's a level of truth here that cannot be ignored, right? Right. So, because on one end we can say, well, on one end I want to say, well, wait a minute, we're never going to be obedient enough. We, well, we won't be. So, what's the ultimate answer? The gospel, but in a in a specific setting, specific situations, I think we have to acknowledge that there's, especially from a purely Christian perspective disobedience will create level feelings of anxiety because we know we're doing wrong. And then you have shame, guilt, your conscience and all of those other things that begin to impact you negatively. So I think there's some truth to that.
1: However, it was in verse five and six that I found my answer. For in verse five, he says in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe." Greek word, tie on. Tie on. That's not the Greek. That's the translation of the Greek word. Tie it on like a towel, like Jesus did when he took on the role of a servant. and He got a towel, a servant's towel, and he put it around his waist. And When Peter saw him tying on that towel, he said, no, you you don't tie on the towel, Jesus. You sit on the throne. But Jesus tied on a towel, and I wonder, as Peter is telling them to clothe themselves in humility, is he having a flashback of the Savior who laid his riches and glory aside and made himself nothing, found in the appearance of sinful man, and became a servant, humbling himself even to death on a cross as he tied on the towel and washed Peter's feet. Peter's response, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus said, uh, Peter uh, shut up that's not the exact conversation but it's the essence of it and he did what he came to do the Son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many but maybe my biggest problem was the fact that um i always thought that verse seven put it on the screen please was the instruction where he said cast all your cares on him because he cares you. Your anxiety is on him because he cares for you. You know, you you go to the Word of God sometimes and you try to pluck up these little promises. You try to do stuff and just… I I like that verse, that verse. But back up and catch the the essence of the text. Verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. He cares for you. To really understand the essence and profundity of the connection, you need to see a more literal translation of verses 6 and 7, because Peter is writing this letter in Koine Greek. In the Greek language, as Peter is writing this letter, as you will see demonstrated in verses 6 and 7, these are not two separate sentences. It reads like this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Watch this comma. What happens next is predicated on whether or not what happens in verse 6 is applied. In Greek, it is one sentence. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may exalt you in due time. Watch this, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, I've been trying to cast my anxieties and keep my pride.
0: Okay, now, now when we put this in fuller context than the clip that was played on TikTok, Stephen Furtick may be onto to something here that we really need to give some serious thought to. Now, the first part of this sermon to me was a train wreck and I have no clue what was going on. Then once he got vulnerable, there's a massive transition here. And this is pretty, I think, something to really consider about. We cannot, we, we try to cast all of our cares upon him without humbling ourselves. That's where the pride comes in. Until we humble ourselves, we cannot cast all of our, he's saying that there's a correlation here. The humbling yourself has to precede the casting. Because if you don't humble yourself, then now I don't know how he's going to, to uh, articulate this, but it seems he's saying that then the casting is not going to really, is not going to really work correctly, that you can't cast, if you're maintaining your pride, and he's saying pride, because we are told to humble ourselves. Now, it is true. Very interesting. First Peter 5, look in verse 5. Likewise, you younger submit yourselves unto the elder, and all you you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and give grace to the humble. You've got submission. You've got humility. You've got humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves. Then you have the casting of all all your cares. There needs to be a submitting and a humbling. Now the question is, how do you humble yourself? Humility, humility. According to the way he's seemingly trying to deal with this, humility must must come before, must come before the casting of your cares. Anxiety cannot be dealt with until there is the humbling of oneself. Now, the question is, how do you humble yourself? Let's see how he takes this.
1: But the thing about it is you need to know that the pride and the anxiety come in the same package. So if you insist on doing it your way, then expect to feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, because it is. You can't just do verse 7 because you decide to. God, take it off me. God, take it off me. Take… I'm, I'm, I'm so worried, God. Make me not worried anymore. Don't you care if we perish? That's what Peter said one time in the boat. Don't you care that we're drowning? Don't you care? Don't you God? Don't you? You said, "Cast all my anxieties on you." I'm casting them. I'm casting them. This doesn't work. See, um, look at the word anxiety, because I'm telling the Lord in my in my prayers, I don't know if I can do it, and I. I don't know if I can do it, and I just need you to give me a sign that I can take the church for it in the next 10 years, and I just need to da, 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 da. take this anxiety. I'm casting it on you, Lord. I am casting it on you. All of my anxiety. And after I prayed this way for a little while, the Lord spoke to me in my heart. Now, this is not an out loud conversation. I don't want you to think I'm really, really crazy, but this is the impression that I got. The Lord said, Are you done now? Okay, well, at least he
0: tries to clarify that it's not an audible conversation. I still don't like this idea that God is talking inside of you. He talks through his word. He talks through his word. So this would be more powerful if he'd be like, after meditating on 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7, I begin to see something. I begin to realize something. I begin to think this as I'm going to put forth this, my, my hypothesis here, my my thesis here, and we can work on this to see if we think this holds up textually. See, that would be more powerful, but he has to bring in that now God's going to basically tell him, you know, Yeah, he's going to give him the answer. Even though it's not audible, he's claiming it's coming directly from God. So that means this is basically some kind of divine revelation. That's where I have major problems. If he would just say it in, I would be, I was struggling with anxiety, started meditating on 1 Peter 5, and I kept focusing on 7, cast, 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 cast. And then as I kept thinking about the passage, all of a sudden it hit me. There's something that precedes the casting. There's something that comes before the casting and that is the humbling that is the humility I begin to realize that therefore humility is the key to casting my anxiety upon him. I can't deal with my anxiety until I'm humbled. And what is the opposite of being humble? It is being prideful. So what is a major control? I think you should say it this way. What is a major thing that could keep you from dealing with your anxiety or casting your anxiety upon God? It could be your pride because your pride is the opposite of humility and humility must proceed The casting that he could try to make a textual argument, but he's going to go into supposedly this internal conversation he has with God. Let's see how this internal conversation supposedly played itself out.
1: Shut up, Peter. Done now? Look at the word anxiety. Look at how it's spelled in English. Look at what is in the center of the word Do you see it? Show them on the screen. At the center of your anxiety, if you really trace it… I'm not talking about a medical condition. I'm not a pharmacist. I don't know about all that. I am not a neurologist. I'm saying, spiritually speaking, that the Lord told me, at the center of your anxiety is your pride. Now if
0: he would have said looking at this passage I am being I'm becoming more and more convinced that the that the cause of your anxiety is pride then okay then, then, then use the text. I don't like God told me. Now, once again, though, what did we realize? Reviewing this entire sermon places that clip that we started this all with, right? That little clip that's on TikTok that that woman was massively criticizing. When you put it in context, I'm not saying it's not, I'm still not saying it's perfect because he's like, God told me, God told me. But it it takes on a much more like, it it, it makes it, it doesn't sound as crazy. As when it's ripped out of context. That's why I don't do I, I always, if that we use a sound clip, we always go back to the fuller sermon. That's why I do full sermon reviews so that the preacher can be heard giving his entire point, not something ripped out of context. So whenever someone posts a clip of someone preaching, ask for the full sermon, go listen to the full sermon before you make any judgment or come to any conclusion. I don't care who the preacher is, they deserve the right to be heard. Fully and, that, and we've given Stephen Furtick the right to be heard fully. I still don't like the whole God told me, but he may be on to something here. Five and six is all about humbling, 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 humbling. And then all of a sudden, verse seven is cast all your cares. How does the humbling that precedes the casting, how significant is the humbling to the casting? And if the casting is casting your care, worry, and anxiety, what happens if you don't humble yourself? Now, he says the pride is kind of the cause of the anxiety. I think maybe what we could say is pride hinders our ability to deal with our anxiety. Pride will keep you from casting it upon God. Pride will say, you can fix it. You can deal with it. Right. I think I think more he may should have said pride hinders our ability to take our anxiety and give it to God because pride says that's humiliating. That's embarrassing. You can do it. You can take care of it. You can fix this. So I, I think I would go from a different perspective. Pride hinders our ability to handle our anxiety biblically. Pride says, hey, "Hey, hey, hey. Look, I know that's causing anxiety, but 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 you got to get what you want. You got to do what you want." No, no, no. Maybe I need to humble myself and admit, "Hey, this is causing anxiety, and I need to do something different. I need to do the right thing here, and I need to cast this upon God, and whatever the case may be." Pride is like, "It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me. It's about me." Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. Let's see how he continues.
1: The reason that you're so anxious is because you've got you at the center and you can't sustain it because it's not your throne. I mean,
0: what happens when we make it all about us? When it's about how I feel, how I feel, how I feel. It's not about how anybody else. It's me, 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 how this impacts me. Not how that situation may impact someone else. Some Maybe the situation could impact someone else for the good, but you're like, no, no, no. It's me, 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 me. It's all about me, 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 me. When it all becomes about us, and I make a lot of things about me. I think it's usually detrimental to everyone, right?
1: Correct? Even listen to your language, the Lord said. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can make it. If I, 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 I. I. I, I, You can't spell anxiety without I. It's right in the middle. And you know what other word I is in the middle of? Pride. And maybe the reason that you've been carrying, carrying anxiety that you can't get rid of is because you've been bearing weight that you weren't meant to bear. You better humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Because if you stay weighed down with pride, you're going to be weighed down with anxiety, and God can't lift you up.
0: Okay, now I don't like that God can't lift you up. I... I don't, I don't like that in any way, shape or form because that limits God. God can do anything. No matter how much you're weighed down by pride, doesn't God have the ability to crush our pride and break our pride? So I, I'm not a fan of that. Okay. I don't, he's making this very either or some me, meaning like, Hey, you got to take care of your pride or God won't lift you up. You've got to make sure you're in close proximity to God or God won't catch you. You got to make sure you've surrendered enough or God won't. That, now there, I, there I have a problem. There's Other parts of this that are are rather profound and I think should be greatly considered and we should think a lot about it. I think it's very important to ask ourselves whenever we look at anxiety. Now, again, anxiety disorder, let's make sure we draw a distinction. That can be ca- caused by traumatic experiences that you have endured. That can be caused by medical issues. So you get definitely should seek and look if you're suffering from, from severe anxiety, what the maybe other issues could be. But at the same time, anxiety clearly can be impacted by certain spiritual issues. And we have to ask ourselves when we— when. Pride is present. Pride is controlling. Is it contributing to our anxiety? When we make everything about us. Now, remember the Christian life is supposed to be one. Now, we never pulled this off. And the only way this ever happens correctly is in Christ. But in our life, we are supposed to be dying to self. Denying self and no longer following self. Now, that's 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 humble. That's humility. That's the opposite of pride. Dying to self and denying self goes against pride. Pride is like, no, 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 no. It's about me. You do this to make me feel better. And sometimes ministry is like that. People involved in ministry, it's all about them. Sometimes in the church, people, it's all about me, 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 me. Not about what's best for the church, what's best for others. No, it's about me. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this for me. I want me, 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 me. Well, I'm telling you. Nothing works that way from a spiritual standpoint. It's self-destructive. It, it's destroying. It's, it's devastating. It's corrupting. Now, he also mentioned disobedience. So how does, how does pride and disobedience contribute to anxiety? Now, those are two things to to, to really work on. Here's anxiety, right? Here's anxiety, this worry, this this being overwhelmed with emotions. Just think about any negative emotional experience. Just think about any negative emotion, whatever the negative emotion is. Is it possible that many of our negative emotions are connected to pride, to some way, shape, or form, And and in some way, shape, or form, to disobedience. Now, ultimately, our only hope is Christ. Right? We got to make sure we still run to the gospel. The gospel is the only solution. But we still have the practical element to it that we have to struggle with. All right, let's continue. Let's continue.
1: I don't know if I have what it takes to make it through the next 10 years. God said to me, did you have what it took to get through the first 10, boy? You better cast your net on the other side.
0: Again, I don't like the whole God talking to you. God talks to us through his word. Based off this scripture, what I should have realized is I'm making it about me and I'm not humbling myself and I need to cast my cares upon him instead of being so prideful and arrogant, thinking it's all about me. Now, the only problem is in this sermon, it's been convoluted at times because he's also made it about me, right? Right. Hey, I got to make sure I surrendered enough. I got to make sure I'm I, 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 I. He's still a lot of I there, but we should look to. How pride and disobedience leads to negative emotional experiences. I think it's something that we have to at least be honest with.
1: You better call out to me in the time of the storm and humble yourself, casting all your anxiety on him. See, it's not a command to cast your anxiety on him. It's a result. The command is to humble yourself under his mighty hand, and when you do, the anxiety goes with the pride. If you would get yourself out of the center and get God on the throne and lift your hands to him and say, I need you, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Can't step without you. Can't breathe without you. Can't eat without you. Can't pray without you. Can't parent without you. Can't preach without you. Can't work without you. Can't live without you. No peace without you. No joy without you. God said, now I'm ready to lift you up above the wind, above the waves.
0: Now, it's rather – again, I, whether you agree textually or not, this is – I'm going to say this is – I know I know people mock Stephen Furtick as not being profound and not being a good teacher and being – I know we, we love to, to do that, but I i don't care what anyone says. I think this is some rather – I think it's rather profound, and I think it's at least challenging to consider – According to him, humble yourself is really the command, and casting is the result. If you will humble yourself, that means you're getting rid of your pride, then you will cast your cares. How is humility, how is humbling yourself the prerequisite? How does it proceed? How does it come before the casting? So when we think of negative emotions, any negative emotions, whatever they are—anger, bitterness, hatred, jealousy, whatever—whatever whatever the negative emotions are, how much are they contributed? How much are they directly related to your own pride and disobedience? And what would be the change? How would it be changing if you were to humble and then seek obedience? and maybe in a specific area. Now, of course, you're never going to be perfectly obedient. I'm not by any means trying to drive you away from the gospel. We have to run to the gospel ultimately. But these, are, there are also practical situations that cannot just be ignored, right? The, the proper distinction between law and gospel doesn't mean you just say, oh, well, I don't have to do anything. This is something we have to at least consider. And I don't have any good answers here. Now, the ultimate question is, and I don't think he's going to answer it, How do you humble yourself? How do you humble
1: yourself? Above your pride. My mom lost 80 pounds over the course of two years. 80 pounds. That's like an Elijah and one-fourth of an Abbey. 80 pounds. 80 pounds. That's about how much you curl with one arm. 80 pounds. But you know what was weird? She didn't just lose weight. See, my mom had bad knees and a bad back. In fact, I wanted to give my mom the house that we lived in when we moved into another house, but she couldn't take it because it had stairs. She said, I can't, I, I would love to live in that house, but the bedroom is upstairs and I can't climb the stairs. You know what's a weird thing though? Cause she would go to the doctor about her knees and the doctor about her back and my back and my knees. I got bad knees and got a bad back. When the weight came off, the pain went with it. I wish you could see her today. She is like an Olympic rower. You remember the social network, the Winklevoss, when she was, she's, she's, she rose. How much does she roll? 15,000 meters a day. I don't know. I'm making this up. But she rose a lot. And she can climb the stairs and she can dance and she's lively. It wasn't her knees, it was the weight. <laughs> Is the reason that you're so anxious? because of your pride maybe the anxiety is the fruit and the pride is the root if you would pluck it up by the root the fruit couldn't grow now
0: we we could we could have the de- debate here i i still don't know if pride is the root and anxiety is the fruit i do know pride Will greatly impact how you deal with that fruit, okay? Because you may not, you may not be willing to acknowledge what's causing it. So, is it disobedience? It's a pride. Now, but we can ask: What are all the negative? What are all the negative? What is the negative fruit of pride? What is the negative fruit of pride? We know God hates pride. We know. We know pride comes before a fall. We know God hates a proud look. We know that. What is the negative fruit that f- comes from the- if if pride is the root? What what will grow out of that root? Is it anxiety? What is it? What what would be the things that you biblically could say, that's what pride will lead to? We know it leads to destruction. We know it leads to a fall. I think it leads to bl- spiritual blindness, clearly, because you can't see the truth. You can't see the reality. You won't acknowledge I I think, again, pride will, will in many cases, not let you see or acknowledge what's causing your anxiety or even help you. It will keep you from even trying to fix your anxiety because you'll be like, no, 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 no. I've got it. I've got it. I got it. I got it. Especially if your anxiety is being caused by something because you won't deal with it the right way because of your pride.
1: Get yourself out the center. Get yourself out the center. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Well, what if I look stupid? Some of you are about to try something right now that you never tried before. What if I look stupid? Well, I got good news for you. Everybody else is thinking about themselves, not you, so they won't even notice. What if I, 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 I? Who better to teach us about humility than Peter? Huh? He was sitting around a table having dinner with Jesus one time. Jesus said, all of you are going to fall away. Look what Peter said. What's that other verse I gave you? Mark 14? I think I gave that to them this morning. Yeah, because the Lord was speaking to me. I preached this message one time before, but the Lord was speaking to me about it for this particular group.
0: Okay, you know how I reject that outright? God speaks to you through his word. You are thinking Okay, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I can't stand that whole, because that that creates the the idea that it's divine, basically divine revelation, and you can't call into question anything he's saying. I cannot stand that, cannot stand that. I know it's Christianese. I know it's the language Christians speak but I I'm, I reject it. God speaks to me through his word alone. Anything else is my mind working, my thinking, my feelings, my emotions and all of that. And if you're going to say, no, no, but God could God could give you that thought. Well, then God could if God's going to start giving me the specific thoughts, then God could just give me nothing but pure thoughts, nothing but right thoughts and nothing about right, right desires. And then we would all be sinless and we would all be perfect. So you can't say, well, God. Well, where, where's all the bad thoughts coming from? Why isn't God getting rid of the bad thought, like it just creates major more, it creates more problems. Okay. But so, but okay. Now I want to, I, I, I got to set that aside and see what he's going to say, because I do agree. Peter talking about humility is very instructive because here's someone who obviously struggled with something very opposite of humility. Cause he kept saying, I will never, I will do that. Others won't, but I, and, and well, he ended up, Fallen. So then the question is, did Peter humble himself or did God humble him through Peter's own failures? And so then is the key to humility, failure? Ooh, that raises some questions.
1: And he, he reminded me what Peter said when, when Jesus said, you know, you're, you're all going to hit rock bottom. Because sometimes the only way for you to find your foundation is to hit rock bottom. Sometimes that's the best place to build from. Sometimes that's the best place to lead from. Sometimes that's the best place to be a better husband from is the place of, of Lord save me. Not call me to come and I'll come, but Lord save me. And then the hand of God gets involved. But Peter didn't know this. And so he sitting around the table, he says, uh, even if all fall away, I will not. I will not. I will not. Jesus said before the rooster even gets his second crow out of his mouth, you're going to be telling people you don't even know me. And that's exactly what happened. And Jesus warned Peter of the attack, and sometimes we don't listen and we don't hear it, so we're surprised when it comes and we act like it's we act like it's an ambush when it's when it's really it's it's really normal. It's normal to to be attacked. It's normal. Jesus told Peter, Satan has asked for all of you. And specifically, he's asked for you to sift you as we to sort out what's real from what's not real. But I prayed for you, Peter. I prayed for you, Peter. I you're going to fail, Peter, but I'm not. Now this raises
0: so many theological questions. Because this is God knowing you're going to fail and I'm not going to stop the failure. I'm not going to intervene I'm not going to prohibit it, but I will be there for you after the fall. Now, why would God let someone fall? Why would God literally let someone fall into sin? We, we don't have a theology really about this. Well, the way we do, when someone falls, we're like, hey, it's on you. It's all you. We're you now need to me be judged church your church discipline you need to be humiliated publicly publicly shamed. Now we shouldn't excuse sin. But how do we in our theology how do we understand well God knew it was going to happen. Why did not God? Why did God not prevent it? Why does God not step in? Why does God not turn the car to go a different direction? Sometimes it wouldn't even be noticeable. It would just be one little like, no, 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 no. Just take a right right here. Just take a right. And then boom, you miss the entire, the, the bridge is out. All you got to do is take a right. But if you keep going, whoop, there goes the car. Why does he not? Why? Here. Hey, I, I, Satan's, Satan asked for you, but hey. I'm right here. I'm right here. What do you mean right here? Stop the situation. Tell Satan no. Don't let me fall. Don't let me deny you three times. Stop it. That's, that's, that's the most like philologically profound and confusing thing that, that in some ways, to use the word feels preposterous to me in some ways, right? It just seems contrary to reason or common sense. Here's God, He wants you to be holy, He knows what's getting ready to happen. then do something about it. But he does it. Now why not?
1: Let's finish. You are shaky at best, Peter, but I am a solid rock at the bottom of your failure. I prayed for you, Peter. And now Peter writes decades later to a church under attack. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God for your enemy, the devil. What's he like? He's like a roaring lion. He's looking for somebody to devour. He's looking for somebody who he can shred to pieces with doubt and fear and selfishness. He's looking for somebody that he can get to walk away. And as a pastor, I'm just sick of having to make phone calls and visits with people every week who are being devoured by the enemy. So Peter says this is a time for resistance. This is not a time for you to run. This is a time for you to resist. Yeah, but he's a lion. okay? He is a lion, and he might be licking his lips, and his fangs might be sharp, and he might have you in his sight, and you might have failed, and you might have done it, and you might be going down. But you need to know one thing about this lion, Peter says, is that after you have suffered a little while, God himself will step in and restore you and make you strong. He's a lion, but the lion is on a leash. He can only go so far. He can only do so much. He can't keep you down forever. Humble yourself under the hand of God, and in due time… Come on, this is somebody's due time. This is it! Anxiety stops here! Depression stops here! Fear stops here! In due time, he will lift you up!
0: Now, I hate the music and all of that because it feels so rehearsed. The musicians have been gone the whole sermon. They were there at the beginning. Remember, he had the, the little, the, the, how the musicians worked the intro? Then he speaks, and then right at the exact time, the timing is perfect. Right when he now comes in for the dramatic climax, there's the music. I hate it. It's so rehearsed, it's so emotionally manipulative. It drives me crazy, but I'm gonna set all of that aside. To go well, wait a minute here. Okay, I think you've said some things that are rather profound, and I'm going to give them more thought. I still want to figure out in my own mind how my anxiety is related to pride and disobedience. He hasn't pursued that a little bit more. You have clearly demonstrated a situation where God seems to be in charge of the situation. And if God is in charge of the situation and God's like, hey, you're going to fall, you're going to but I'll be right there. Well, then why does God allow all of that to happen? Well, then the question is, do we humble ourselves or is God the one that humbles us? Now, Peter says, humble yourselves. But can you humble yourself? Can you truly Humble yourself, or does, or does do we have to run to God and God will humble us? And does He humble us through our failure? Because it sounds like Peter was humbled through his failure.
1: Feel the hand of God reaching down for somebody today. You've been going down. If it's you, lift your hand. If it's you lift your hand. If this message was straight to you, stand up on your feet, lift both your hands in the air. If this message was straight to you, straight to you, straight to your heart, straight to what you've been dealing with, straight to the battle you've been fighting, lift your hands. God, we thank you for your hand of favor. Your
0: And that's the conclusion of the message. When Anxiety Attacks by Stephen Furtick, it's been viewed well over six million times. Very, very, very popular. TikTok, they've been taking clips of, or at least one clip of it. And, uh, well, I think they don't fairly represent the entire sermon. But it does bring us now back to pride and anxiety where all of this started. So I want you to really ponder this. I want you to really ponder 1 Peter 5. I want you to really ponder And meditate, contemplate the humility preceding the casting and how pride and disobedience greatly contribute or may lead to all the negative emotions. So do we – How and then how do we humble ourselves? Much here to contemplate. Now, there's a lot more I would like to say, but we're at 70 minutes, so – I think I've said as much as I can. I do apologize. One, somewhere in the middle of this, a FaceTime call came in from my daughter. I had to text her and say, hey, I'm live on the air. So if that interrupted the audio, I apologize. I do apologize. For some weird reason, I wasn't saying preposterous correctly. I think I was saying preposterous. I don't th- I think that's how I was saying it. I was leaving out the R. Preposterous. I think I was saying preposterous or prep- I don't know how I was saying it. But I do apologize for saying it incorrectly. Um, I, I, I think I did the same thing with proceed. I think I left off the R. I don't know what I was doing today, but I do apologize for those mistakes. But you know why I'm apologizing for those mistakes? Because of pride, because of how it makes me look, how it makes me feel. So I'm going to have worry, maybe a little anxiety, and even contemplate deleting this entire message because of a FaceTime call and me saying the word preposterous and possibly the word proceed. In my mind, I start thinking I'm saying all of these words incorrectly. And so then I'm thinking, hmm. Me, 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 me. And when I get in the way, does it not lead to sometimes worry and anxiety and negative emotions because of pride? Instead of saying, you know what? Who cares if I look foolish? Who cares if I look stupid? Who cares if people talk trash about me? Because I think we talked about some very important concepts here that should hopefully overshadow Me, because it's not about me. Do I want to look good or do I want the truth to be seen? Now, I could make an argument, Well, but but, but if my mistakes overshadow the truth, then that's enough. I do understand that. But see, it's easy to convince yourself you're doing it because you don't want your mistakes to overshadow the truth. When in reality, all you're worried about is how the mistakes make you feel. You see how the, my mistakes here serve as a perfect example of how pride, you can add disobedience in there, can lead to negative emotions. Or pride could keep us from dealing with negative emotions or admitting them. You can give me your thoughts. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. Thank you so very much. I'm glad we finally took this long and winding road. We're now pulling over. You're free to go. Hopefully, you found the trip to be worth the long and winding
1: road. Thanks for listening. God bless.